When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hi. Maybe Hi. the most excited I've ever been for an interview <laughs> is today. We have Keenan Thompson. Keenan Thompson. Feels like a big one. I asked for a picture at the end because yeah. it felt like a big one. Keenan's one of the ones like, if I see somebody at, at, at a party or just in LA because you see a lot of celebrities who I like really just love and respect, I run away. Because I don't want to interact <laughs> with them and then have them discover that I'm an idiot or write me off as like another fangirl or something. Keenan is definitely somebody that I would run away from <laughs> because I'd be like, I don't want him to know. I, w- I want to keep the, uh, the fantasy alive that he would see me and be like, yes, we are soulmates. <laughs> and I pushed through the pain because I love him so very much. And I... I'm such a fangirl. He was so smart. He was so he was very smart. smart. He was, but he was very, very keen. And he looked, he like looks and feels like the person that you have been looking at for 30 years. Or I know I have since I was a, oh yeah, pre, a preteen, literally. Yeah. Feels very lived in, feels like very confident, but not even like the smallest degree of like ego or arrogance. No, not it's, even a he's tiny just bit. so. Freaking grounded. He's got gratitude for his job. I want to give a tiny little teaser, which is that we talked about his relationship with Kel, which, again, if you are somebody that watched all that and Keenan and Kel when you were a little kid, that is like a question I've always wanted an answer to is what is his relationship with Kel today? And I won't spoil it. I just want to say it so proudly. Quitters presents Keenan Thompson. <laughs> presents. <laughs> I'm now freaking out now that his face is on the screen. <laughs> yeah, you were being all cool. You were I being mean, all he wasn't cool. here yet. And now you're like, now you're nerding out. Now you're me. I'm now I'm 15 again. Damn. Welcome back to your childhood. <laughs> Chad was asking me if I'd ever done SNL, and I was like, oh hell no. It was always like a terrifying like opportunity to fail. Put all that to the side, man. Come through. You know <laughs> Come man? through. She's like, I'm scared to do it. And he does it every week. Yeah, He's been man. doing it longer than anybody. They keep referring to you as like the longest tenured cast member. And I'm like, doesn't <laughs> tenure mean you can't get fired? 
I guess. I don't. Is that what it means? <laughs> that's what it means. And I'm like, I don't actually think he's tenured because that's like a professor gets tenured. And that means that like no matter what they do, they can't get fired. That'd be a pretty yeah, sweet deal. I, it is. That's a crazy deal. Nobody should get that deal. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, do anything to get myself fired at the same time. But I don't think, you know, anybody's above being shown the door. You know what I'm saying? It's also not a great mentality to have when you're trying to create. No. On a constant basis. You managed to get through doing two seasons of your own show and going back and forth. Like, if you could do that and now you're, are you solely focusing on, on SNL right now? Yes, at the moment. I mean, I'm supposed to be creating, you know, more shows or stuff like that, you know, movies and, you know, just working the whole gambit or whatever. But, you know, SNL does, you know, demand a whole lot of focus. So it's not like I have to try hard to pay attention to it. You know what I mean? Like, it's six days of my week whenever we have a show and, you know, it's a season from October to May. You know what I'm saying? So it's a, it's a large presence. What's the structure of those days, if I might ask? Like, how much life can you squeeze into those days? A good amount. I mean, it's like working nights, basically. You know what I'm saying? So people that, you know, have night jobs, basically, you know, do as much as they can in the day as far as being a normal you know, family man or, you know, person of society that gets, you know, has to go to the post office or whatever. You know what I mean? You, you do what you can and then you go, you, you work your night job. And by the way, true fact, Keenan, I just read this in our, in your dossier, as Chad likes to call it. You're the only cast member that was, first cast member that was born after the show had started. Yes. But in the 70s, that whole system of staying up all night was all fueled by people who were doing cocaine all the time. It is a, a crazy cocaine legacy schedule. I think that was kind of the way they they coped with what needed to get done. You know what I'm saying? I, I can't blame the entire schedule on cocaine. It's just a very last minute kind of flow to, you know, I guess that culture was built like on the late night kind of culture, like the hangout tip and this, that, and the other or whatever. You know, most theater shows are in the evening. You know what I'm saying? Most improv shows, most stand-up shows, it's, you know, it's an evening kind of atmosphere anyway. But the, you know, pile of work that needs to get done starts to, you know, turn your life into a 24-7 kind of existence. So I understand people, you know, trying to use, you know, a little bit of an, a crutch to help yeah. get through it or not. It's definitely a step down from like the Sid Caesar years when they were doing a couple hundred shows a year. You know what I'm saying? And that writer's room is legendary for number one, being insane, but number two, you know, people like, you know, Carl Reiner's of the world and you know, the Mel Brooks of the world and, you know, Woody Allen's and all of them kind of being in the same room together, like grinding out sketch ideas and grinding out comedy. How do you know so much? How do you know so much about TV history? Is this like a thing that you study? Yes, it is. <laughs> and, you know, I I watched the Sid Caesar Hour like documentary just because it, it kind of hit home. And I was like, oh, this is kind of where, you know, the birth of an SNL kind of came from. So I, I watched that one for sure. And I was like, is super interesting. And you know what I mean? It's times way before my times, as far as like the fifties is concerned, like fifties television or whatever. But, you know, it also explained a lot and it had a lot of names that I recognized. So yeah, I, I watched it and I sound intelligent about that one specific topic. You, you know what I mean? So very intelligent about that one nice. specific yeah. topic. <laughs> you really do. I mean, you've been doing it for 30 years, TV. So you, you, you must have just also learned so much just from osmosis, just being in, in the water. Oh, for sure. I mean, I've definitely learned by doing, 
You know what I'm saying? And at the same time, I've, I've always wanted to enrich, you know, my own mind and, you know, understanding of a lot of different references. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't even know who George Harrison was before I, I got the SNL job. You know what I'm saying? And like, I knew who the Beatles were. Yeah. But I didn't, yeah. I didn't know George Harrison, like by name, you know what I'm right. saying? And like, like woke me up in my mid twenties, you know? So like, I, I'm, I never try to be above learning stuff or whatever. Me and my fiance, we're both just talking about how we have been watching you, you know, since we were literally, quite literally children. We got all that. She has all that t-shirts and paraphernalia in the house, like all that stuff. But my question, because you've been doing it so long, you know how like people who speak English dream in English, people who speak Spanish dream in Spanish. My dog probably drinks and dreams and barks. Do you, at some point, do, does humor, does like funny and jokes has that seeped into you in such a way that do you actually like dream in funny? <laughs> uh, yes, I've, I've definitely woken up laughing before, amused by something in the in that happened in the dream. Like, oh, that was funny, and I know that was a total dream. So that's interesting that you. Yeah, that's a crazy good question, but yeah, that's happened for sure. You started all this when you were really young, mm-hmm. uh, like you were like a kid actor, and so. Yes. Did you ever get to go to normal school? I did. I went to prom and all of that. And I graduated, you know, shout out to Tri-Cities High School. Um, and uh, yeah, but it was a lot of back and forth, you know, and then there was a lot of, you know, decision making. Like I went to this private school at first and then my attendance record was not normal, I guess. So I was doing all my work. Yeah, I was doing all my work. I was actually even finishing my work before my class were because they were, you know, having to go lesson by lesson given by the teacher. I just had the book and, you know what I mean, in the workbook. And I was like, well, I'm done with the workbook. So, like, I guess I'm done with the course or whatever. And they didn't see that as a balance necessarily. (laughs) They wanted my physical presence to to go with their their rules that have been established since 18, whatever the fuck. And... um, (laughs) They made me choose between their school and acting. So I ended up going to Tri-Cities and thank God. Like, I, I'm so proud to have come from this Tri-Cities. This was all in Where Atlanta. Is tri- what is Tri-Cities? The Tri-Cities are College Park, East Point, and Hapeville. So it's all okay. about the airport, basically. You have on a, you have on a, a Braves hat, but you don't live in Atlanta. You live in, you do live in Atlanta. I live in New York, between New York and Florida. What, what, what's in Florida? Uh... It's a lot of good sun, but um, my wife was kind of from there from like, you know, middle school, high school kind of age or whatever. And uh, when we decided to start having kids, you know, New York seemed like a little too hectic to do that with. And uh, we went to Tampa and, you know, Tampa is very similar to Atlanta. So, you know, I was fine with it. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, her mom still lived down there. So it was nice to have like grandma in town and and that kind of thing. And. It was it was a blessing, you know, both of, you know, our babies were summer babies, you know, so we had very quiet first couple months kind of experiences with newborns. It was it was great. Did you schedule that? I did not schedule that. <laughs> that was just, you, you did know, it? You didn't aim God's for graces. hiatus? It, no, I didn't. It just it just happened like that, you know. I scheduled all my I was like I'm you're, I'm having these babies on hiatus. I'm not missing a fucking day of work. You seem very specific, but that's okay. Does anybody get you riled up or just the more that people are riled up, you get more and more chill? Yeah, I mean, I I guess I get riled, I you know, I absorb energies, you know, being a performer, you know, you it's nice when you're doing like theater and live performance like 
you absorb the energy of the audience. Like you can feel when they're, you know, enjoying something and you can feel when they're confused or they're not on board with stuff and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, whenever I watch sports, I get riled up, you know what I'm saying? Cause yeah. I'm like cheering for either my hometown to fuck it up like they have been doing <laughs> or, you know, like I'm witnessing an, an amazing kind of thing. So, you know, sports is definitely something that lights me up, I guess, just as a, a dude walking the planet. But you know, my my kids bring me joy, you know, family, like I'm I'm very like mellow basically because I guess I observe that's kind of like my style of humor. It's coming from observation or whatever. But uh at the same time, yeah, I, I do love to enjoy, you know, a joyous moment for sure. <laughs> so somebody told me about uh theater acting that it's like you you plan your day so that when you're on that stage. You are all the way up and your energy's all the way up and you can really like amplify that energy toward the audience versus TV acting. I was told you got to sort of keep a steady energy so you don't blow it all like on the first take and then run out of energy. It seems like what you do with SNL is a it's kind of a hybrid of theater and television. So how do you sort of manage your energy for that kind of performance? I mean, like the legendary Tracy Morgan used to always say, don't peek a dress. You know what I'm saying? Don't, <laughs> peek, a, don't peek a dress because that's I not where the W is. I saying that. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, and my it's, God. It's real because, yes, dress rehearsal is kind of like the decision maker as far as like what's going to go into the show. But if your best mm -hmm. performance isn't seen, it doesn't really do you any sort of advantage or whatever. So you try to keep that in the back of your mind. And yes, yeah, the same kind of thing. You try to save as much energy on Saturday because we're not really taping on Saturday. You know what I'm saying? So you can kind of save it up until dress rehearsal or live show or whatever. But during the week, especially on Friday when we're pre-taping, it's like, yeah, you got to, you know, give performances on those takes. And, you know, I've, I mean, even on Wednesday at the table read, people are performing full out. You know what I mean? Like I watched Will Ferrell like blow his voice out because he was doing this reading about a pre-tape that they were doing where he was sneezing the whole time. And it was really funny, you know, but he was like really loudly sneezing while they were trying to do like a commercial for like an allergy drug or something like uh -huh. that. He was like disrupting all the dialogue. But yeah, he blew his voice out like on Wednesday and then they had to actually shoot it on Friday for like hours and hours and hours. So by the time Saturday came around, he was super hoarse, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, this is like, you know, Will Ferrell, one of the comedy gods kind of thing. So like, it was very like apparent that we're all very human, you know what I mean? And like it was it was a lesson. It's like, man, you know, there like you you want to go for it a thousand percent to make sure, you know, it gets, you know, sold in people's minds or whatever. But when it counts and you know, you're sounding all hoarse and you're struggling through it or whatever, like, is that fair? Is that fair to him? Is that fair to the writing? Is that fair, you know what I mean, to the audience? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's tough, you know, like. He's the kind of person that, you know, wants to give as opposed to like taking care of himself kind of thing. And, you know, you got to find that balance. You know what I'm saying? Because he's a humble guy, so he doesn't want to take a lot of praise. He would rather give praise. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's like, yo, you do a lot for the world. You know, you bring a lot of joy and you have to take care of yourself so you can give us our joy the right way. <laughs> Selfishly. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't want to yeah. hear the voice cracking. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like anybody can throw you off your game because you are so consistently, like, people will be buzzing around. There'll be a scene. There'll be, like, 
uh, I don't eat, it, you know, Black Jeopardy. You will do the uh, the one you just with Kiki Palmer, uh, oh. the Keenan Kelly that was so hilarious. Good. And you always keep your energy right where it should be. Has anybody ever been able to like knock you off your game that way? I mean, I don't know if they've been able to like necessarily knock me off my game. I mean, shout out to Kiki because that Kenan and Kelly was special. That, oh, was, that, was, that was her idea. It was amazing. Zing. That was her but idea? I, yeah. And I mean, you know, she, you know, basically was like, I got an idea, Kenan and Kelly. And I was like, say no more, basically. So we, you know, it wasn't a full discussion in the beginning, you know what I'm saying? Because I knew exactly what what that was as soon as she said it. You know what I mean? I was just yeah. wondering like if they were gonna like put it on the show. You know what I mean? Because things have to be done a certain kind of way for it to fit the taste buds of an right. SNL audience or whatever. So well, once we fair. crafted it the right way, it was it was so good to execute. But yeah, I mean people have tried to like fuck with my head, I guess, or get competitive with me just because mm -hmm. it's, you know, comics are used to that or whatever, but I'm not really a competitive person amongst people I admire for one, you know, and it's not really my, my energy to try to like establish, you know, alpha shit or whatever. Like I'm just more so like, can we all just, you know, Rodney King it and get along? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what does that look like for people who haven't done it? Is it, uh, is it like, is it just a tone and energy? Is it a speed thing? Is it body language? I mean, I just feel like it's irk moments, you know what I'm saying? Where, you know, whether it's they got to get the last word in or they got to bring up things that might be bothering you when they know it's bothering you and they're not necessarily offering a solution. They're just kind of like bringing up agitation, you know what I mean? As opposed to like, I'm already aware that that agitation exists. So why don't you try to like distract me with something else kind of thing? You know, and you just don't feel that, you know, brotherhood kind of connection as performers at all. You just kind of feel like, you know, every person for themselves. And that's not really how I get out. You know what I mean? I grew up, you know, in ensembles, basically. So we were all lifting each other up to try to get up the mountain as opposed to like one dude being like, I'm going to run up there and see what's up there real quick and I'm going to send back for y'all. You know what I'm saying? And then never <laughs> right. <come> back. <laughs> right. So, so Keenan, before we, we, we will do this forever, I wanted to just tell you a little bit about the format of, of this show because I think it's important. Yeah, how did this come about? Well, uh... I wrote a book that came out a couple years ago. Um, I went on Dax Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert, to talk about it. Uh, Julie's producer slash, you know, partner in almost everything, Rachel, who produces this show as well, I think pointed it out, pointed me out to Julie. Yeah. And then they reached out and we connected and we just kind of started talking and hanging out. And I yeah, read your read book. book. Yep. And I read your New York Times op-ed. Mm -hmm. And I, I became a fan. I was a That's fan fantastic. of his brain. I was a yeah, fan of his brain you. before I was a fan of his cute face. Yeah, yeah, his little cute face. His cute yeah. face. And then he had the he had the idea. It was all Chad was idea because we were like, how we had both we had both quit some significant stuff, some like life changing things, and we wanted to explore how quitting you know acts as a change agent in people's lives. And but why I I go back to that is because in reading. Your, your dossier, as I love to call it. Like, we didn't, everything that we see is mostly about how you, like, stick it out. Like, how you, you stick with stuff. And, and, you know, obviously, you're always talked about as the longest tenured SNL um, cast member. And so, I'm wondering, like, is there something in your life, in your story, that felt huge, that felt defining, that you had to put down to live the life that you wanted to have? I mean, I've definitely had to make 
sacrifices as far as time is concerned. You know what I mean? Like I've missed a lot of funerals, you know, I've missed a lot of probably births, you know, and mm. that kind of sacrifice is definitely, it's up there, you know, like I think everybody gets it. They understand it, but you can never redo those moments. You know what I mean? They're just, you know, kind of forever compromised basically, you know, like we made a decision and everybody's fine with it or whatever. There's no love lost amongst those who are still present. But at the same time for me, it's like, yeah, all my uncles are gone at this point and I can't really say I was able to make it to all of their departures, you know? So that's something that I live with, you know? And I don't know, man, it's like, that would kind of be the only thing that I would, you know, I necessarily had to put down for the sake of my career. It's just, you know, I can only be in one place at a time, you know, and yeah, I have to be where I'm, you know, employed. You know what I'm saying? Like you can only get an excuse. You, you can't even get a flight coupon back for somebody that's not your parents. You know what I'm saying? No, like, I know. I know. Like, I know. They like, I, I've tried it. My my cousin died. She was my best friend. And they were like, but we don't know that. And right. we don't, right. we, we don't give you a coupon for your best friend. It's yeah. insane. It, it's, like, it's and they, tough. Could you clip an obituary and send it to us? It's insane like, trying no, to get. Yeah. I could never, you know, no. and like you just make your peace with it, I guess, and move on. And I'm sorry to hear about your cousin, you know. And know I'm sorry about all your uncles. <laughs> thing. But yeah, you know, Dude, we that... just live this life. I mean, what else am I going to do? You know what I'm saying? Be out in these streets? I can't be out in these streets. <laughs> what do you mean can't be out of these streets? I mean, like, uh, my grandparents died a long time ago, but they died within six weeks of each other. And I was doing a recurring, big recurring role, huge, massive, so small, on ER. But that was a big deal at the time. I mean, mm. it was like, if you were doing ER, people were paying attention. People were noticing. It meant you, your career was maybe going to go somewhere. And my grandfather died. And then six weeks later, my grandmother died. I told my parents, I, there's no way I can make it back to both of these funerals. I mean, like, back to back, there's no way. And they said, you will. You will. <laughs> and I, and I'm, I, you know, I'm glad I did. But at the same time, it, it causes stress with a family when you can't make it to big events like that. And you're saying everybody who's still with us is cool with it? That's hard. I mean, I, I can only speak for what I, I assume, only because I don't get, like, you know, letters of just, or or texts of just like, you ain't shit, you know what I'm saying? Right. But at the same time, <laughs> you know, we, we're family, so they they know me. They know that I would be there in a heartbeat without question if I were able to do so, you know? And that's where I hope and pray, you know, everybody's heart says, you know, I know it's tough and I, you know, made it to the ones that I could make it to, but, you know, you can't make it to them all. And then we're also approaching that age where, you know, it starts to happen a lot more frequently, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, man, it's a lot. So, you know, I, I didn't ever have to like put another profession aside necessarily. Like my passion for, you know, poetry or slam poetry is still very alive. <laughs> you just can't find anywhere to perform it anymore. They yeah, closed all those places these, down. I keep carrying these drums around, man, and it's starting to get heavy. But, but Keenan, so I, I I think I see where Julie was like was going. You, you just have such a good reputation for yeah. like being a grounded person. You're yeah. sitting right here, right? You feel very authentic. You feel like yourself. Again, we've been watching you for 30 years. I'm just like, how did you learn how to be yourself and decision make when you've been doing this for so long? Like who helped you? 
I was glad to have gotten in it. You know, like we, I was, yes, doing theater when I was young, but I didn't get my first job job until I was like 15, 14, 15. By that time, I feel like you're very well established in who you are and probably are going to be as far as like... What, Paul? Uh, no, no, maybe. no. Really? As far, you, as, far as like your no. family and Kenan, loyalties is concerned? How old, how old are your <laughs> I think kids? So. How old are My your kids? My kids are eight and four. Okay, mine are 13, 13, and 15, and I love them, but my 15-year-old, if I was like, you're, you're ready, you're ready, young one, you're ready, Jedi, go, go, no, go no, fly. No, I, mean, I can't say that I was like, ready, ready, I'm just saying like, I knew who I was. I knew I was a younger brother, I knew I had a million cousins, and I knew what I was doing was abnormal at the same time, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It wasn't like we all had the same opportunity. I think it's really interesting. You you said, I knew who I was. And the first thing you did was identify where you were in your family and in your concentric family circle. Mm -hmm. So is that really like the the base of your self and your self-assurance? It was the base of the knowledge of self that I had at the time, yes. You know what I mean? Okay. Because I wasn't as researched in, you know, our, our legacy as Black people and this, that, and the other, you know. But my immediate protection and my safe zones, you know, was in my house, you know, and being, you know, a, a child of of God as well as my parents, you know, and like growing up in the church in the neighborhood and being from Atlanta and my, my family's from Virginia. And those are the things that made me be able to go out to LA and kind of still maintain who I was. Like I knew, you know, I wasn't easily influenced into what I didn't necessarily gravitate towards. You know what I'm saying? If I didn't like a particular song, I wasn't just going to like claim to like it just because the cool kids in the cast all like that music. I was like, this is the, the music that I like or whatever. So I had those kind of confidences, I guess. And, you know, I was, you know, my mom was close by, you know, and she was just there with me. And, you know, we made good decisions and bad decisions. So I, I kind of experienced it all basically without necessarily having to fly solo, if you will, as a, as a kid. You know what I mean? I didn't so have, like, overnight power to just be like, oh, I'm going to emancipate okay. myself. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, no. Mm. So your mom came with you to L.A. when you were 15? Yeah. And did that put stress in on the family or stress on you not being, you know, having that support system? I know you had your mom, but, like, it's a little different when it's just the two of you at the Oakwood Apartments on Barham Boulevard. That's exactly. We were on Woodman. <laughs> But it's not even the Oakwoods anymore. Was that in the dossier? No, I just know that's where I'm old child actors used to stay. And like anybody <laughs> coming to town, well, a thousand percent. When you're new to town, you go to the Oakwoods. You go to Oakwoods. It's, it's furnished. A three bedroom apartment for twenty seven dollars. Yeah, that's you know exactly saying? right. It, it, that's what you do. You you hustle up out of the Oakwoods. So yeah. shout out to everybody trying to hustle up out of the Oakwoods. Exactly. That's crazy. That should be a show. Um, but no, my parents were divorced at that time when my brother was in college. So she had all the time to kind of focus on me. I, it didn't feel like it was pulling a focus away from, you know, any kind of family dynamic. So it was almost like it was written to be that way. She was free to do so, if you will. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Mm. 
I, I've asked um, Julie and some of the cast from Modern Family that's come on uh, this same question. There's obviously some gap between all that and Kenan and Kel and then SNL. Yeah. Um, right? Like a probably a significant gap in time. Yes. So I asked them, after you do something that is such a big hit, like Modern Family, like all that, like Kenan and Kel, as a young person, especially, I asked the kids from Modern Family this, like, did you feel the weight of having to do something else big after that was over with? Or did you just feel confident in taking your walk as you walked it? No, 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 no. Um, by that point, <laughs> I was an adult and I had bills. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I needed to figure out how to get the next job that was going to give me the lifestyle that I was, you know, wanting to achieve, basically. We grew up on the lifestyles of the rich and the famous, you know what I mean? So we would watch them, like, really, like, I wanted that. It was, it was before you had those images in your hand that you can constantly kind of go back and forth to every seven seconds. So mm-hmm. it was a much slower kind of, much more in the distance kind of thought. But it was the thought that I definitely wanted. And then the reality was, shit, I got to pay for brakes, gas, oil, rent, <laughs> food, insurance, SAG dues, you know, all this like list of shit. And when you don't have a job that you can depend on as far as like, you know, when it's going to start and how long it's going to last. Uh, it's easy to panic. It's easy to lose yourself to negativities and bad people. You know what I'm saying? Just because they try to help you just pass the day along or some shit like that or whatever, or show you another way to survive that really is not who you are. Mm. And a lot of people can get sucked into that because it becomes their safety net when you feel like you don't have a safety net, especially if you don't have no family within thousands of miles. You know what I'm saying? Like all my people kind of stop at Texas. So if you don't have any kind of like family, you know, you can always lean on family and like live a real life. In my mind, I used to always be like, you know, at at the end of the day, I can go be a bus driver somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And that was like my little thing that no one could take away from me. You know what I'm saying? So it gave me the courage to audition for whatever or wait out the times in between auditions, basically. And yeah, it was a weird like two and a half years. You know what I'm saying? Like some jobs would come, some jobs would be you know, months and months in between. And, you know, those in-between times, it can fuck with your mind, especially like people talk about like that, you know, paradise kind of psychosis where living in LA and it's a beautiful day, it's sunny outside, but you broke. You know what I'm saying? That that can really fuck with you. You know what I'm saying? Like you you can't go enjoy the beach because you can't get to the beach because it's not necessarily walking distance. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And like eating McDonald's or whatever. Because it's like what you can afford out your change tray, like all those experiences, like it can really like kind of chip away at what you think maybe your destiny or your future should look kind of look like. And, it, you know, I, I salute the people that, you know, ride those waves into the, to the next kind of peaks and valleys in their in their careers to get to that next milestone. It, it takes a lot. You know what I mean? So I, I give a lot of credit where credit is due, but it's also why I don't necessarily run quickly away from jobs. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I value employment. When I first came out here, I got lucky. I got a couple jobs quickly. And I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty easy. And then I hit that sort of huge long stretch where I was 
auditioning and not getting stuff. And I started meeting other actors who would be like, well, we get up at, you know, we get up around 11. We go to King's Road for breakfast. Then we go to yoga. Then we go to the movies and then we party. And I was like, oh, you can kill a whole day. Yeah, they, knew, they, they were professional day killers. Yep. And I I tried that that for a minute. I was like, oh, no, no this isn't what I came here to do. But it's kind of lonely if you don't choose that. Do, mm-hmm. Is that the vibe you're talking about? Or, or tell me what your experience was. It definitely felt like my mission was mine alone to walk at times, for sure. As much as, you know, uh, different people that I knew, you know, different levels of life and success that they were on, you know, I, I couldn't call them to fix my daily issues. You know what I'm saying? Like right. I could, I couldn't depend on anybody's, you know, everyday solution for my life, except for me carving it out. I just realized that. I mean, I, I'm, I guess I'm thankful that I wasn't just born into money and I had to figure that out for myself because mm. I feel like, you know, the worst thing I think you can do is, you know, prevent discovery from somebody, even if it's, you know, well-intended, like, let me save you financial heartache mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. or that headache. But like, you know, learning yourself is the invaluable part, I think. And I learned that this actor thing is what I was put here to do. You know, and there, there was no other real like alternative for me that was going to work out for me because I wasn't going to like wear a suit every day, even though I like you know, acting like a businessman or, you know, carrying a briefcase and all that shit. And like, <laughs> looks cool. But like on a daily basis, like, no, nah, I'm not going to have a bunch of suits like that and really be wearing them every day and be happy, you know? So that just, I don't know. I, I stayed the course only because there's lots of different aspects of being an actor. You know what I'm saying? So I was just really trying to see how it was going to play out, you know? And when big opportunities come, you hope you get it. And then if you get it, you hope you kill it. And it's all just, you know, hope and prayer and faith. And then at the same time, being as professional as possible, you know, being a good person, people that like all those like curriculum, you know, circular kind of things that help you, you know, in the decision making of should we let this person go every summer or not? If we can go like back to the um, I was like picturing you eating at McDonald's in that in-between spot when you said like, you know, McDonald's, like. You just, you do what you can to live for cheap until you get your next job. That's, ve- I mean, it's so relatable probably to anybody who's had a job and lost a job. I guess the the complicating factor that I always come back to is it's like, but to the outside world, like you're Keenan. You're not just like a random dude at McDonald's having some McDonald's who's who's laid off. Like to them, you're Keenan. So how did you... How do you deal with that with that part? The part that to everybody else looking in, especially people who don't work in y'all's industry, like you're Keenan. I mean, that's my hopes for the podcast. You know, like our podcast is like my one place where I, I'm kind of like this, you know what I mean? And like yeah. most podcasts are like that. We can just talk and have an intelligent conversation. Right. It doesn't feel like an appearance on The Tonight Show where it's still like a performance. <laughs> it's not really yeah. like yeah. nobody really wants to have a conversation without a reaction on a TV show. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. So like podcasting has been amazing for me for that. As far as my, my hopes of people seeing the real me and not be shocked when they meet me in real life. And I'm more so like my, you know, podcast persona because that's really myself. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I don't have an agenda there. Like my podcasting partner, he's the one that has to bring up all the topics and all that shit. And I just, you know, kind of reacting, just am allowed to just speak my mind and free think and be myself. 
And that has been like, you know, damn near therapy, basically showcasing my true self and having it be accepted because I've been told like, you know, in pitch meetings, it's like, you can't just be like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't just go in there and pitch and be your normal self. Like, you have to wow these people. And I'm like, why uh-huh. can't I just tell them idea and we, you know, tell them the idea and we all brainstorm and like figure <laughs> out that it's dope. Like, why do I have to do this song and dance all the time? But that's the biz. You know what I'm saying? But you you really put yourself out there. So I didn't know you had a podcast and then yeah. and I hit one and then I went to the middle of it. Yeah. And the first thing I heard, <laughs> if anybody hasn't heard this podcast, your, what is your, your, your pod, podcasting partner is Tony? T- Tony. 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 Yes. Tony, very high energy. Very high energy. Comes with and, it. Coming in hot. Coming in hot. And you're, you're doing Keenan, and you're very low-key. And he's throwing all these topics at you. And somehow it gets to... I have no idea how, because again, I just went to the middle. And it's... It's... It's Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. And Princess Diana comes up, and Keenan says, well, she's America's princess. And Tani says, well, she was British. And Keenan says, really? I thought she was from Tennessee or some shit. Like, I have the feeling you actually thought that. I 1,000% thought that. Only because I think I was very little <laughs> in those days. And it was like, it was some shit happening in another world. So I was like, most white people are American. Or I thought since oh she was... <laughs> Just she was like being shunned or whatever. It's like she wasn't British. I, was, I didn't know why they was going so hard. And I never thought that they would go so hard at one of their own. <laughs> oh, you know what? It tracks. I mean, that does track. That makes perfect sense. But when I heard this whole back and forth, this is literally like a needle drop. And I, I, I think actually it might be the best way to listen. I can't wait to go back and listen to more of your podcast and just like pick random segments. Just pick random. Just pick it random because it is stunning to hear how low key you are. And like you said, that is who you really are. And there, this guy is just like throwing darts at you and you sound very unedited. Yeah. Do you ever worry about anything that you say? No, we're pretty good at like disclaiming ourselves. You know what I mean? Like that's what <laughs> we want. You know, we want to like, because we're, we're not malicious people and we're, we're not just like shit talkers for the sake of like, you know, talking right. shit or whatever. We're just, you know, <laughs> responding to the world in front of us, right. basically. Right. So we do a lot of, yeah, self-disclaiming, you know, in the moment as much as possible. But yeah, I mean, I've had those thoughts like, you know, I don't want people to like use clips out of context and, you know, start like shit storms where there's not one because, yeah, it's it's not a hatred-driven kind of pod. It's, you know, it's not a divisive kind of pod. It's like a bring everybody kind of together kind of thing. Yeah, no, and it is. And I, I, by the way, I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's it's kind of everywhere. It's on Apple iPods, whatever. Like, it's, yeah, it's everywhere, yeah. basically. Right. But, you know, if you want to watch the videos, it's on YouTube. and It's called You Already Know. And but yeah, he's always yelling at me that I don't plug it often enough. So there you go. There you go. You <laughs> plugged it. I, I have to say, having done, a, as I said, a very brief needle drop, highly enjoyable and very surprising to hear this kind of a conversation between you two because you're clearly friends, but you're not on the same wavelength energetically or otherwise. And it's fantastic. It's good. It's good friction. Well, good. Very Thank good you. friction. That's great feedback. There, I Thank plugged you it for much. you. I plugged you it sure for did. you. sure <laughs> did. Absolutely. So it's Is like there, very interesting. Like how far along are you guys with this podcast? 
We are in our, this is our second season. We started off doing them in the same room, which was a studio in Julie's guest house, basically. And now I'm back here in New York and she's out there. The like matching, the matching each other's energy thing. I don't know what Tawny looks like. And it's a thing that I have probably, you know, I've been in 10 different interviews when I worked in like the corporate job market and the question about like your energy level just feels a little bit laid back. You know, you seem, you seem so chill. You seem so cool all the time. Like, I think it's a little cultural. Like, I, I mean, I think it's a lot cultural. I think that's what oftentimes yeah, it man, is coming down to. a massive cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, you bring up an interesting, you know, concept by it being a cultural because I feel like in our culture, there is a lot of stress. You know what I mean? There's a lot to be stressed about. There's a lot to be angry about. There's a lot to be on the, the defensive about. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just stepping out your door, you know, you just feel like, how is everybody looking at me? How's everybody treating me? And how should I respond so I can survive and make it back through this door later on? Mm-hmm. That's a lot for a motherfucker to just be thinking about every time they step out the crib. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, <laughs> yeah. It, it It's usually... Like, probably advantageous to just be a little more mellow so you don't indirectly just bring a whole lot of, like, conflict your way indirectly just by being Black, you know what I'm saying? Or or being, you know, a Black young male or whatever, like, the zeitgeist threat is of people that look like you and I, I guess. But, yeah. I got to ask this as someone, again, who watched you from childhood. Do you get asked a lot of questions about your relationship with Kel, your co-host back in the day? Like... Does And I honestly, I'm coming at this with a blank slate. So if it's a hot button topic, please, we can move right on. Like, what is you guys' relationship? I'm just curious. No, that, it comes up quite often, you know, and there's been different phases in my life when I've had to think about it in different ways. You know what I mean? Sometimes it felt like a burden and I would have to think about, you know, how fortunate we were to have each other, you know, at the same time, you know, like. You know, for the record, Kel is my brother for life. You know what I mean? Like, without question, you know, like, we got our first tattoos together. And it was more symbolic than us being rebellious and, like, getting tattoos because we were now 18 or whatever. It was a it was a bonding experience. Huh. But we had bonded before that just through laughter. You know what I mean? And then kind of being, you know, the only two Black kids on the show or two Black boys on the show, same age, you know, similar city, Chicago and Atlanta, and, like, you know, it just we just felt like an automatic team, you know. And then there were times where people didn't see us as individual athletes, you know what I mean? And we had to, like, figure out, okay, well, do we want to be just bonded and linked forever without any sort of chance of expressing ourselves individually or whatever? And we had those kinds of growing pains. But we're beyond that now because it's been established that I work well, you know what I mean? And, you know, he works well. People know my first and last name. They know his first and last name, you know what I mean? And they can respect our talents individually so it only can get better when we put it together. And that's kind of always where we wanted it to be, you know, but it Mm -hmm. had to journey to get there because, you know, people enjoy the pie that's in front of them, you know what I'm saying? So they wanted to keep us, you know, Kenan and Kellen, every single thing that we did. And, you know, if my name came second, it might be irking after a while. You know what I'm saying? Like, like my mm-hmm. folks need to respect me a little bit more or something. So I, you know, I validate all those feelings if he ever had them. We never really had that conversation. The conversation we always had was, all right, well, 
if we're not going to go do this next thing, you know, it's fine, but no, you know, love lost because the decision to not just do something else from scratch and force it is because we want people to know that we're both individually talented and not forget that in the mm-hmm. love of seeing us performing together. And that's kind of where that whole thing started. And it led to, you know, me going one way and him going another for a while. But, you know, whenever we came back together, like the real like reunion on the Tonight Show or whatever, we did the Good Burger sketch for the first time or whatever in years and blah, blah, blah. It was just like old shoes, you know, it was like no love, you know, no time lost or whatever. And it was just like right back in a very, you know, comfortable kind of existence because, you know, he makes me laugh like real hard, you know what I'm saying? And I I try to get a couple in, you know, on him or whatever and, and make him laugh. And that's like the basis of friendship that's like real strong. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, even if we beef and if somebody says something funny, that might break the moment and then the beef might be over at any given moment. And that's that's a strong friendship, you know what I'm saying? Where little things can't just take it down like that. So yeah, that's my lifelong brother. That makes me happy, to be honest with you. I wanted to call him your brother, but just bringing him up, but I had no idea what the relationship was. That makes me happy because... Uh, people can make you feel like that's impossible, especially if you look like this. So that you like, have to be competing with each other. Like, there's only yeah, one spot at the, the table. That the door is only big enough for one of y'all to walk through. And and and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but it, you know, it also takes two to tango. You know what I'm saying? So just because you might have that, you know, outlook on, you know, everybody can eat. We can all do whatever. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. You know, if your cohort doesn't see it that way, and it's you know something that's like underneath the surface is going to bubble to the top at some point and that's just not healthy. So you just want to keep like open lines of communication. Anytime I've ever had people come around me and they try to compete with me and irk me, you know, in my, you know, like show experience for that week or whatever, I'd be wanting to just yell out like, yo, I'm not here to compete with anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like I want everybody to win. Like I just want us all to be happy and have a good show. You're the host. You know what I'm saying? It's your show. Like it's, it's not about us. You know what I mean? Like, it's about them. And to be having a moment where you're hosting SNL, you're having more than likely a major moment in your career. You know what I mean? So oh, it yeah. really has nothing to do with me at all. People get weird and, you know, personalities are personalities. And I don't know, Zodiacs is real shit. You know what I'm saying? So some people, you know, approach it differently when they feel like they feel like they want. I don't know. I don't know the the logic behind wanting to just seek out competition where they're isn't really coming, you know, naturally from. Like, I could see if I was going at a motherfucker and, like, you know, trying to do the best dance or be the loudest person in the room. Right. But I'm so not like that. So then when I still receive that energy, I'm like, yo, like, what is really happening out here? And then a lot of the time it's just from reputation or past work or how people perceive me when they're talking to that person. I'm not there. You know what I'm saying? So even that kind of presence might create some sort of, made up threat, you know, to a person or whatever. But yeah, I'd be wanting to shout from the from the mountaintops. Like I'm not the one you need to be worried about. You know what I'm saying? Like if I'm the funniest person in a sketch and the sketch gets cut because the host wasn't funny in it, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's that's not the job. The job is to build up the host and have a good show for the show. You know what I mean? And then the icing is for me to be able to take the credit for crafting that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's supposed to be the cast members icing in my mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, the fact that I was responsible for a viral moment for somebody else. 
that is so incredibly generous. Like, I knew I loved yeah. this man, but like your respect for a job and like not wanting to leave a job. It's like, why would you leave a job? You haven't had a lot of quits, but I did catch in there. If you and Kel had an opportunity, were there more opportunities to do more stuff together? And you were, you both were decided for, for whatever reasons that you wanted to grow your careers in different ways. I can spin that motherfucker into a quit. Watch mm-hmm. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we definitely did kind of like pause it because, you know, we went through, all right, are we going to do Kenyan Keller Colleges on Nickelodeon? Okay. Yeah. Nickelodeon doesn't want it. Let's take it to the WB. All right. Right. They're semi-interested, but they want kind of maybe a different spin on the Kenyan Keller thing. And then we take one more idea that was like way off where we were like cousins or some shit. I was like, oh, you know, it's not really feeling, starting right. to feel forced basically at this point. And then also that mm-hmm. phone call was kind of like, they ain't really feeling that shit either. You know what I mean? Like they would have been more excited if like the first idea they came up with would right. have been something exciting. Like right. down to the second and third, it's like this whole thing might be fizzling out or whatever. And you can right. just feel it when the calls get less and less frequent or you get put on hold, you know, more yeah. often or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Or people don't hit you back. Because nobody just says no. What the fuck? Yeah, nobody yeah, just nobody just says just no. Say no. No, for your own sanity, you guys had a. I'm I'm imagining this. Tell me if I'm wrong. You guys had that talk. You're like, this isn't. It doesn't feel like this is happening. It doesn't feel like we could want to keep pushing this ball up a hill when the hill keeps getting steeper. Yeah, and we were young, so I don't know if we specifically verbalized it, you know, to each other as clearly as we maybe needed to, because there was, you know, years of like miscommunication where we had indirect kind of beef with each other based on hearsay or whatever. And, you know, he said this over here and it was like, somebody told me, you know, he said this over there and blah, 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 or people. And it was never like direct communication. And anytime it was direct communication, it was always, it was always love. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We're not in each other's way. And I'm definitely not trying to tear my brother down when he's trying to, you know, achieve the same thing I'm trying to achieve, which is, you know, a successful career as an actor, basically. But there was a moment when you decided, at least for yourself, this isn't just blossoming. And like, if it's a good idea and they want it, it just kind of goes really, it goes really well. Like the the, the project you'd worked on earlier. So yeah. was that difficult or did you have something already waiting in the wings for you to, to move on to? No, it was difficult because it was, it was blank slate. You know what I mean? It was like just back to, mm-hmm. you know, me showing my headshot to some casting person. Like, yeah. I'm next. Correct. Okay, great. And seeing <laughs> and a waiting room of to... familiar faces. Yeah. And they <sighs> t- put your, write your social security number. That's the only thing they ask so for much at an audition. At an audition. <laughs> they don't ask for anything. Your social for, for your... what? Like to they run a literally... background check? You write on a, on the sign-in sheet and you look yeah. around and everybody in the room looks like you. If you're blonde, yeah. everybody's blonde. If you, yeah. you know, like everybody looks like you, you realize that, <laughs> that you're like in a machine mm-hmm. and you write your name, the role you're reading for and your social security number That's and weird. then you sign it. Like, it's the weirdest thing to leave just behind. On a, on a loose book. On a piece just of paper. On a table. Just, Right there with your yep. signature. Like somebody could lift that and and open a, a credit card yeah. the next day. Hollywood was quite loose back in the day. It was the wild <laughs> days. I got I, Can I ask you, we haven't really had this conversation. Everything Keenan said about competition yeah. on a set and, you know, 
supporting whoever is supposed to be the star in that moment or whatever the case may be. Like, what about you? How do you, what, like, where does that stuff land in your life? Because you are a competitive person. You are a live wire. I don't think you're a, t- a toxically competitive person. I think you want to win, right? Not, you want but not a? at work. I want an A, but I, not at work. Like at work, I'm, my comfort zone is number, number three, number two, maybe on the call sheet. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a good, I'm a solid three. That's mm-hmm. where I was on Modern Family. Mm-hmm. I've been number one on the call sheet for other projects and I'm not as comfortable. I don't like to carry that. I haven't in the past it's been as much. comfortable carrying that weight. And it's much more fun to be mm-hmm. number two, number three, mm-hmm. where everything isn't your fault. Mm-hmm. And you get to just be more generous and go like, I'm, I'm here. And, I, and it's always worked out much better that way when you're giving, giving back to the people around you. And people always assume like, Sophia and I were going to be competitive because she was higher on the call sheet than I was. She's, she makes any female look like uh, a boy, like a little prepubescent boy, no matter what you do. And I would, I was just like, go girl, go. I, I love it. And yeah. I find the biggest challenge with that is sometimes when you have a guest star, somebody comes on, they are, they, they have that energy of, oh, you, you're the tough one. You're going to be difficult. You're the little mm-hmm. type A. And I'm like, oh, I'm type A, but I am not mm-hmm. competing with you when it comes to work. And like, I, yeah, like a rising tide lifts all boats here. And we mm-hmm. all want this episode to be good. We all want this show to be good. I don't compete at work at all. Mm. I should probably compete more at work. I'd probably Why? be better. Because sometimes I think it's lazy for me to be like, there's times I watch Ty like walk around and like we'd have a scene where he has two lines. You mm. know what I mean? Like, and he's walking around before showing his look <laughs> inside his mouth like this. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm thinking about the scene. And I'm like, you have two lines. <laughs> and then he would go and do something insanely brilliant. Mm-hmm. with those two lines. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, fuck. That's what makes him so good. And I'm yakking away, like trying to make the crew laugh and going like, da, 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 da. and that's how I keep my energy up and stuff. And um, I would never try to take away from him, but I, sh- I could have raised my game too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he wasn't doing that. He doesn't seem like the type who was would be doing that out of who competition. Was oh, no. He wasn't competing. He was just no, trying no, to no, do no, his no. best. He was just like, he always wanted to be better than his last take. Huh. He was never like, that was good. Let's wrap it wrap it up. And he and I would go for a long time. That's the one person with whom we'd be like, because we would get our shit done really fast. And then we'd be like, can we do more? Can we do more? Because he he mm. always wanted to make it better. And if we weren't running over anybody's lunchtime, let's do it. When you detect someone has that energy, Julie, I know you have a, I'm sure you have some like Jedi way of dismantling them or something. Like I know you have a, a game plan for that because you have a game plan. I do with, with those people what I do with anybody, which drives most people insane, is I just start asking them a thousand questions. But I do that with everybody. I'm like, where are you from? Who's your mom? Like, what are you? Blah, blah, blah. And that I'm an equal opportunity pest about like, I want to get to know you. I want to find out. But I, I've said the most flattering moments in my life have been somebody came up to me recently and said, you know, I was a guest star on Modern Family or Boston Legal or some show. 
And you made me feel so comfortable because you asked me all these questions. And I was like, that makes me feel better than I was going to say something dirty. But then I was like, why go for, why? Why go for the low-hanging fruit? Why am I doing that? I'm just pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's low because it's juicy. Kenan, would is there anything I'll ever get you to quit SNL? Quit it? I don't think, you know. Like you walk away. Well, yeah. I mean— I, it's just there's an inevitability I think for everybody you know there's right. a, there's an end date and I don't know exactly what that is only because you know history has been rewritten you know at this point you know what I'm saying so like the old way of doing it has kind of been thrown out the window like and I'm not the only one you know like wait, wait what do you mean what do you mean by that like the way that the show is done like Getting hot on the show, graduating from the show, and then getting hot in your yes. career. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. there's just been different ways of doing both. Like, Fred did Portlandia at the same time. Uh-huh. You know, even Cecily, before she left, she's been doing Shemekha Dune. You know, Kate was doing mad movies. For me personally, like, I've stretched it into an insane number. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've stretched it up until the 20s. So, I don't Crazy. really know what that number is going to be. All I can say is when it starts to take more from me than give to me. And it gives to me, you know, it, it just, it's so satisfying to like hear new jokes. It's kind of the best, you know, and to just be around brilliant minds. It just feels like I, I stay connected to the pulse of what's happening kind of on a weekly basis because we're such a weekly, you know, show. So like our topics are up to date. Like I've learned so much. I'm like, I have zero interest in politics, so where else am I going to get it? Like, I was going to say, get it from like, the Daily Show. Even <laughs> I can't imagine you sitting there reading about Herschel Walker, and then you have, then you're playing him. Yeah, like <laughs> I usually watch four seconds of people like that just so I can hear their voice, and then you know I can kind of pretty much by reputation tell like who I'm for and who I really kind of want to take down a notch. Basically, and he was an he was an obvious one. He would, yo, that I what I didn't doubt it for a yeah. second. So, I very much think of funny as like a like you can't get it without being smart. It's built on top of intelligence. What stops some smart people from being funny? Like, Whoa. really, there are some really smart people out there who are not funny. Like, what what's what is in between smart and funny? I mean, I feel like there's a level of performance in there, you know, because in the performance space, you're holding up the mirror anyway. So especially in comedy and topical comedy, you're really holding up the mirror to society. So you being the mirror, you kind of have to re-perform these realities for people to kind of show them, you know, what they should be laughing at when you might just be missing it when you're just trying to catch a train. You know what I'm saying? And like little <laughs> yeah. things like that that we do, like observances and nuances, like we bring those things to the light that you might be glossing over, which allows you to kind of react to it more because it's being placed directly in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of smart people probably just aren't even on the wavelength of performing back for other people or presenting to people, you know, what they should be laughing at. You know I mean? A lot of smart people have earned it. So they feel like you should probably earn it and they're not just going to do it for you. You know what I'm saying? Mm. That was well-considered answer. Yeah, I mean, I had to think about that one because it's like, smart. yeah, why aren't smart people just naturally funny? But I think that, you know, a lot of people that are naturally funny have this, you know, knack to want to perform for others. You know what I mean? They're like, 
you know, want to hold Insecure? the room's attention or something like that. Or is they just want to entertain. I don't know. You mean Julie, smart people are insecure? I don't know. I don't know. Did That's you have what the I'm same answer, Julie, before he mm-hmm. said that? No, I was thinking about it. But, you know, he just pulled, you know what he just pulled out of his ass and not out of his ass, but like out of his brain? Plato's mm-hmm. cave. Mm-hmm. Plato's okay, cave. what's that, Julie? Plato's cave. What is that? I don't know what that is. Plato's cave. Okay, so the, this is the way I remember it from philosophy. But that you can't, if you look directly at the fire, you, mm-hmm. you can't really, you're not getting anything out of it. You got to turn around and see the shadows being cast on the wall of the cave. And that that sort of, it's kind of the idea that thinking about something helps us examining something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is the act of understanding it. Right. Just being right in it sometimes is not helpful to understanding something. Ooh, yeah. And that that's kind of the difference maybe between what smart people are just in it and smart, funny people are kind of turning it so that they're observing it. It's just what he said with the mirror. But the mirror is Lacan, and that's a different philosopher. I'm trying to sound oh, fancy shit. because I'm so fucking intimidated by Keenan. over here. super Plato's intimidated. Wow. You're because, doing fine. Uh, you're yeah, fucking Keenan, man. man. I know, but like, I don't think... There's very many episodes of SNL I've missed ever. Mm-hmm. Like I watch it every single week and sometimes I watch it several times and I'm just going to fangirl. I'm just going to do it. The way you are so consistent, your energy, you will change the character you're playing, but there's always this keenness to it that lets you know like oh, no one can, there, no one can fuck with his shit. <laughs> no you. one can fuck with his shit and he's never cheap. And I'm like, after 20-something years, how are you not cheap? How are you not going for the, like, here comes the bus? Yeah. <laughs> nah. And I, I'm so proud of, uh-oh, here comes the bus. You have no idea. Oh, because my God. That was the best <laughs> writing, line. <laughs> writing is the most tedious, <laughs> like, arduous process, you know, a lot of the times, you know what I mean? And it damn near puts me to sleep every single time. And I feel bad because ideas have to be written out. It's just a part of it. Like, right. and if you can master that without it torturing you, you will output a lot of great things. You know what I mean? Like everything that you're getting from the universe and you're able to pour that out in a proper way where people can function off of it because it's a blueprint for everybody else to work off of. Directors, producers, art, you know, makeup, hair. You know what I mean? You're giving them basically a manuscript to work from. You can't just be like, yo, I had this idea, you know what I'm saying? And this and that and the other. Do you see it? Like, people are not going to see it that way. So right. you have to, like, right. spell it out in a way where it's just as funny to you <laughs> from concept to the paper. And that is a, a hard process. But I stuck it out when <laughs> we were writing that one because it was very close to home. So it wasn't like, you know, that, you know, I don't know. It wasn't like nails on a chalkboard. But when we were figuring that part out, like, what should she say? That's an off quote to what Kelly used to say. And, you know, my Brian partner, Brian, like, pitched something else. And then I was like, now nah, it should be maybe, like, something more nonsensical. Like, uh-oh, here comes the bus. I was like, fuck yeah. And then when it worked, like, when people laughed at that, that is the glory moment, especially for a writer. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, but what's more satisfying, when they laugh, when you are performing it, or... Or when, because she's Kiki, for those of you who haven't watched this episode of SNL, if people haven't watched it, you can go, you can see him on Peacock. You can go on on um, on YouTube. K- 
Kiki Palmer, the the Keenan and Kelly sketch, and she wants she's going she's gunning for her Emmy in it. So she's lying on the ground, being deadly serious while also throwing out these catchphrases or the catchphrase. It is a genius moment. She is an absolute genius because she's such a dedicated actor. She knew how to play nonsensical real. You know what I mean? And give it full performance. And the more dramatic she went with it, she knew that that's where the funny bone was. And it was just like such a pleasure. And I, I don't know. I, I, a win is a win, whether I'm the one giving it and people laugh super hard or somebody else. Like, honestly, like, I feel like we're all kind of walking the plank kind of together. So we we just take all those big room laughs, you know, together. I'm sure if you wrote the sketch, it feels much more personal, you know what I mean, as a personal achievement and stuff like that. But I don't think, you know, not a lot of people write by themselves. So we all kind of share, you know, the glory moments as well as when it doesn't go well type of thing. So you kind of learn not to over-celebrate the highs because there's probably going to be a low either right behind it or at some point, you know what I mean? You don't want to have too much of a drastic emotional change like that. So that kind of allows me not to be cheap with it. Like you were right? asking, like... No, you're not audience, cheap. The audience won't let you have as a joke and think that they're just going to keel over laughing just because... I'm a familiar say a familiar face and I'm the one right. that's saying it. You know what I mean? We have to earn it. Right. Right. And then like even when you're doing Steve Harvey or any of those any of your hosts within within the show and I'm so sorry Chad, I'm going to nerd out for one more second. Do it. Do I got to ask this one cuz I've watched this one so many times. Migos goes to therapy. Oh man. Yeah, <laughs> man. Shout out to Take Off. Oh yeah. my god. But when you're performing it and that's filmed like it's not like I, I, for Modern Family, the audience knows what they're going to get every week. You know, they know, mm-hmm. oh, here's Phil and Claire and stuff. SNL, it's different. How do you know if it's going to land? Or if you're cracking yourself up, that's good enough? It's good enough while we're shooting it, but you don't know if it's going to land until they play it back for the audience and, you know, you start hearing reactions. You always hope and pray. And, like, we're listening to, like, litmus test, like, you know, a, a crew member laughing, you know what I mean? Right. Hopefully, like, some kind of normal person that's in the room that might respond to this stuff that we're doing. You know, especially people that have no idea who the Migos are, and they're still kind of right. laughing throughout the process. We feel pretty good about it, you know what I mean? And, like, just us as human beings, like, yeah, it's funny to us, but it's not too inside funny to us because the Migos were becoming, like, very, very popular alongside with the thought of Black men going to therapy was becoming popular. So it was kind of like, that was the point of doing that sketch. And it was like, it was on point because it was happening kind of in the, in the world. So it, it, I think it kind of told the story to the audience without us having to spell it out. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like I th- hardcore I, rappers that, go to therapy. It's like, oh, that right. concept is becoming real. I, you don't have to know what Scoot Scoot is to know that that is fucking hilarious. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm and sorry, I'm nerding. You try no, you're good. people to just be on board with laughing in the first place, but you never know. You know, that, that audience is 1130 at night, so imagine what your day has been waiting to get to SNL. Like, they could just be tired, especially throughout the winter. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, yeah. even outside or whatever. Like, motherfuckers probably be ready to just, like, go home. You never know. So we never just assume that it's going to be laughed at just because people are at 30 Rockefeller. You know what I mean? But you're doing mm-hmm. it days in advance. Like, that's the thing about that has changed since the the early days of SNL when it was like, 
all live with the with the Smigel, Robert Smigel bit, like mm -hmm. um, TV Funhouse stuff in the middle. Yeah. And then it started going more and more to like the digital shorts with Andy. Mm -hmm. And then now it's it's almost every week we get some almost. There is a digital component to the live show for sure. Right. But 99% of it is done Friday, which is very last minute. You know what I'm saying? And like, yeah, they're, they're rolling the dice on a lot of things that they choose to just spend money on. And it doesn't make the show and it's just money spent. And it's not just 20 grand. You know what I'm saying? It, it'd be, you know, very costly whole productions. Like a whole production for a sketch idea. It's, it's wild. You mean they don't make it? They'll do the entire thing and it doesn't air? Yeah. Things get How? cut. I mean, I know for sketches, live sketches, I know that that happens all the time. But for a digital short, they'll yeah. shoot it and not show it. Mm. Yeah. Or they'll put it on the internet. You know, they won't necessarily roll it into the live show or whatever. Not just because it went bad. Sometimes there's not time for the show. Or maybe that audience didn't respond as, as great as the dress rehearsal audience. So... Sometimes they just show the dress rehearsal one back because it sounds better and they put that on the internet or whatever. I, there's lots of different ways and reasons. But yeah, it happens. And it's wild. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like throwing up a full production just to throw it in the trash. It's crazy. But it's over the next week. Everything's done. It's like yeah. it's done and you start over. And the, because of the institution itself, it's like... I mean, you guys are like your own monarchy. I want to ask one more question about how your brain works. So you do, you're, you're like an exceptional impressionist. And I don't understand how impressions work, really. I mean, like at, at that, you know, like at an actual artistic level, where does that draw from? Is it about like, is it about being able to actually like see a person and how they are like what they're doing and how they're moving is it about are you adding something on top of how they're moving and what they're doing that makes it an impression like how does it work usually it's an exaggeration of a combination of those things like physicalities but also tones you know what i'm saying like a jamaican sounds like a jamaican you know <laughs> but when you're doing a jamaican like old man if you're doing a specific person, you're probably mimicking everything about if they're hunched over, if they're this, if they're that, especially if you're recreating that person for someone who knows that person. You know what I'm saying? So once you start doing that person, like, oh, snap, they're doing Uncle Willie or they're doing this person. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's just kind of how it goes. For me, it's more tonal than anything else because that's how I, I win audiences kind of quickly, you know? And I learned that when you're doing impressions, usually it's within the first two or three seconds, kind of people decide if if you're doing it right or if it's mm. something that they want to like engage as far as laughter, you know, because it's kind of on point in some, 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 some way. So when somebody does a Trump and it's different from, you know, a Trump that they've heard before, they're listening for what is the nuance that this person is doing that sounds more like the Trump that I know that makes me, you know, accept this as my new impression that I hold better than the other person's impression or whatever type of shit. And then if nobody's really doing anything, like when Jay Farrell did Will Smith, nobody had a Will Smith, you know what I mean? And it was just, <laughs> that showed his ability to kind of, you know, impersonate anybody, you know what I mean? And it showed like how incredible and, and impressionist that he was. So, or is. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's very tonal for me because, you know, those are the people that like catch my ear the fastest, the, the Sharptons, the, the Barclays, the, 
you know, David Ortiz is, you know what I'm saying? Like people yes. that sound a certain way. <laughs> is there anybody you hate doing? You know, I asked my Caucasian, you know, <laughs> co-workers that you same question. You can call question. us white. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I asked my <laughs> white co-workers like that same question. Like, yeah. do you hate having to do like a Mitch McConnell or so, or somebody right, that's right, kind right, of right. like very reprehensible? Right. And they're like, I don't hate it because it's an opportunity to showcase the absurdity of this person. You know what I right. mean? And hopefully right. open the conversation to, you know, <laughs> why do we, you know, keep elevating people like this to these positions of power or whatever, right. blah, blah, blah. I don't really love seeking out an impersonation that I wanted to do that I, that I don't want to do. You know what I mean? Right. Like if I hate the right. person, I just would rather not even, you know, put them on the radar like that. Right. And right. I was really trying to like walk a cautious line with Hersh- Herschel Walker because it was a, an experience that, you know, I, I saw Kate have when she did Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. And she was really sad when she didn't win. And the amount of sadness it seemed like it wasn't necessarily about just Hillary losing. It was like, do I did I have a hand in her losing? Like, was I showcasing oh, wow. her mm-hmm. to be more of a crazy person or somebody that, you know, should be laughed at as opposed to taken seriously and blah, blah, blah. So with Herschel Walker, I was like, I don't want people to love my impression so much that they actually start loving him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like wanting right, to vote right. for him because they like and think about a happy moment when they think about you know, Herschel Walker, they start thinking about my impression as opposed to like the realities of a person like that going into a position of power. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, because you just touched on it. Like, do you think anybody should be off limits? Like, is there anybody that should not be laughed at? I mean, laughed at, I don't know. You know what I mean? I think the search for the right joke should be allowed. But Mm -hmm. I think in that search, if there is, you know, damage along the wayside, then, you know, it's not really doing anybody any favors to eventually get to, oh my God, we found the perfect joke to make about, you know, handicapable people or, you know, trans people or this, you know what I mean? It's like the journey to even get there is like, if there's way more, you know, collateral damage and what is it even really worth? So it's tough on standups, I think, because they're supposed to be those voices that allow us to, you know, kind of laugh at anything or laugh our way through pain or whatever. But at the same time, when there's miscommunications or there's misunderstandings and then there's real life, you know, outcomes for those people, like if you're putting people's lives in danger in their daily lives because the person across the street sees them as a certain thing because we keep making jokes about it or whatever, that therein kind of lies the problem for me because, you know, you're not really doing anybody any favors just by trying to be like, I should have the freedom to make jokes about anybody. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, but there's real consequence for that person as opposed to you, the comic that just gets to go home or travel to San Francisco or to, you know, just live your life. You know what I'm saying? This person has to like live in a world where they're not understood properly. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And it could actually cost them their lives because of those kind of like perceptions that's wildly, you know, irresponsible to me. Uh, you've brought me so much joy over the years. I hope you never quit SNL, but if you do, I'll I'll be at the, I'll be waiting outside the stage door at your next thing. Thank you, Keenan. Thank you. Thank He's you. Thank beautiful. You, thank You're you, beautiful, funny, brilliant. Thank man. you, man. I, love you. I thank appreciate you. it. I love you both. Such a pleasure. Thank love you. you. Thank you. Thank All right, you. y'all have a great one. 